0: you guys for, um, for having me. Um, I'm losing my voice, and so please um, bear with me. I told the pastor, I'm, I speak about 200, I'm averaging about <clears throat> 212 dates, I'm preaching 212 times a year the average pastor does 40 sundays a year <laughs> and uh and i'm doing 200 and something days so sometimes my voice which i need to protect better it gives out on me and uh, i've been screaming and dancing and celebrating with young people so it's a, it's a good way to lose your voice and um uh, but i'm realizing more and more i'm not as young as i used to be and um uh, because i feel it in my body um i just want to first of all say it's an honor to be here get ready y'all because we're going to have some black church this morning all right we're going to have some black church this morning. Uh, I've known your pastor for about <clears throat> 10 years, and I love the little redhead brother. Uh, I can eat his body weight and donuts, though. And, uh, <laughs> he's, a, he's a tiny little man, but I love him. And uh, I have been married 15 years, and uh, my wife and I have adopted two amazing little boys. And um, God saw fit to bless us not to have children naturally. We tried because he had a better plan in us bringing some little men um, into our home. I have been fighting against... Um, human sex trafficking for 20 years. I'm only 44, so it's almost half of my life I have been in the fight. Um, We're one of the longest running ministries in the country well before it became a cool thing to do. We were fighting it when no one would support me. Churches slammed doors on me. People told me I was an exaggerator. There's no such thing as sex trafficking in the U.S. I mean, it was, if anybody here believes that now, then you're sleeping under a rock. I mean, everybody knows trafficking's here and that it's Happening in the U.S., and so uh, we were on the pioneer side of that thing when a lot of people told me I was an exaggerator. That happens in third world countries, that doesn't happen in America, and it happens right here in good old Virginia. And uh, I've been to this state multiple times to rescue young ladies and some young men. And so, pray for us because as long as the Lord puts breath in me, I'm going to continue to rescue young people matter of fact, both of my boys have come out of the sex trafficking arena. Uh, we have adopted them from young ladies who are in that world. And so we're not just talking it, we're living it. And we brought those kids into our homes. Uh, so I, I got the cutest little five-year-old black baby. There ain't nothing like a black baby with a little afro. <clears throat> when he was a little baby, he looked like a little black Michelin man. He had all these rolls, this little beautiful little ghetto afro. It was awesome. And my second son's the cutest little white baby you have ever seen. I have me a white son. Tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. And uh, I love my little snowflake. He's whiter than you pastor. He is white. <laughs> He's got the prettiest little blue eyes. Man, I love my little snowflake boo. And uh, I tell people, I want my house to look like the international farmer's market. Uh, I want every culture you can think of in my house because the scripture says every tongue, every tribe, every nation's going to bow before the king of kings. I just want to go ahead and get some heaven in my home. I just want to be able to look around and see culture and see nothing but culture. And and so this morning, I'm going to talk to you about... um, The very essence of why we're here, and uh, which is to bring God glory. So, for the sake of time, if you got your Bibles, um, go with me to Isaiah. Isaiah, it's going to be up here too, I think. Isaiah 43. We're just going to do one verse there, then we're going to go to Isaiah 14. Excuse me. Isaiah is talking to um, the people of Israel, and he's telling them about God, their Savior. Why, what is the purpose of God saving us in the first place? Isaiah gets to Isaiah forty three seven, <clears throat> and he says this. He goes, "Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my what? Lord. My glory." Whom I formed and I made. He, Isaiah was telling him that God is, He's called you. He, he, he's redeemed us. He's our Savior and He's done it for His glory. When I say God's glory, here's the definition that I mean God's glory is God's beauty, God's attributes, and God's power on display. So when we say God's glory, we're talking about the beauty of the Lord, His attributes, and His power. He's saying that God's saving us to reflect his glory. We are to show his power, his beauty, and his attributes on this earth. God didn't come to save you just to keep you from hell. That's not the greatest thing we get. The greatest thing we get isn't what we miss, it's what we get. Do Y'all get that? A lot of people will say, I'll ask somebody, well, tell me about your salvation experience. They'll go, man, I'm not going to hell. I'm not going to spend eternity with the devil. They never mention Jesus. <laughs> He's like the consolation prize. It's more about escaping Satan and hell and has zero to do with Jesus Christ. He's just kind of the throwing in. Well, I guess we got to throw Jesus in there. They just didn't want hell and Satan. You don't have to be a, you don't have to be a Christian to not want to go to hell, y'all. <laughs> I got some unbelieving friends who don't want to go to hell either, but they don't know Jesus. And so God's saying you are created for far more than just escaping the flames of hell. You are created for his glory. He loved you and created you in his image so that you can reflect his glory on this earth. That's far greater than you just escaping the flames. Thank God Christians don't go to hell, but that is not the greatest thing we get. The greatest thing we get is an amazing relationship with the creator of heaven and earth. Can I get an amen right there, okay? All right, pretend we're at black church for a minute, all right? Talk back to me, all right? Talk back to me. And, uh, And so Isaiah is setting them up and saying, look, this is the Savior, and this is why he saved us. These are actually, pastor, called poetic words. They're very poetic words. Can y'all imagine, ladies, for a minute, or fellas, imagine this, guys. You go to propose to your bride. Y'all been dating for a while. You're like, it's time to take this to the next level. So you get down and you kneel down and you're like, hey, girl. um, You know, we've been dating for a while and uh, it's time for us to just take this thing to the next level. And uh, will you marry me? And then her response is, well, nobody else has asked me yet, so why not you? I mean, I guess. I want to be a bridesmaid forever. I mean, your brother's way cuter, but he ain't noticed me yet. That would be the worst marriage proposal in the planet. Oprah's not going to have you on her show. Nobody is. Sometimes that's how we act like with God. It's like, like, this is all he had was us. <laughs> So I guess he'll take us. But no, Isaiah paints a different picture of like a guy who is passionately pursuing his bride. And he says, you, pastor, that's what happens when you get married. The wife is to be your glory. That's why the guys just wear tucks, but she gets to be all decked out, looking all pretty. And nobody noticing his suit, but everybody's looking to see what she's wearing, right? They want to see this dress. She's supposed to be, she is his glory. And so God is, Isaiah is saying, look, y'all are his bride. You are his glory. As messed up as we are, God is still proud to say, I'm thankful to redeem you and to call you mine. He knows we're going to be moody. We're going to cheat on him with sin all the time. We're going to be wishy-washy. He's going to be consistently faithful and stable. And he already knows every shady thing we're going to do. And he still says, I want you, to.'" I know all things. I know your strongholds. I know you're going to be inconsistent. And I still want you to be my bride. See, that's the ultimate love and affection. We all want to know. I always tell young people when they come to me for marriage counseling, they go, hey, we want to get married. I say, why? They Because we love each other. I said, and y'all fools don't need to get married. I said, Have y'all had a fight yet? They're like, no, we've never had a fight. I said, you don't marry people's good things. You marry the bad things. It ain't nobody's ever come to my office and go, I'm going to get divorced because my husband is so awesome. <laughs> He's so sweet. He does everything great. He goes to work. He leads me spiritually. He loves the children. I've never had that counseling session where God comes to my office and goes, I got to get divorced. I'm going, why wow, my wife is just too awesome. She's faithful. She encourages me. She respects me. Our kids are great. She takes care of the home. She works hard. I can't marry a woman that good. I have yet to meet that guy. It's usually those not so nice things. (laughs) It's for better or worse. Everybody, Everybody committed to the better side. It's the worst side that leads people to my office for some marriage counseling. Come on, Pastor. I got one that's right in the whole crowd. I know I'm preaching one amen in the whole crowd. It's that side. I always tell people, you need to see if you can tolerate the worst side of them. Because that's the side that usually causes the issues and the dramas. And God said, Isaiah said, God knows every shady thing about you. Because right now, y'all all look all great. You cleaned up for church. But come on, there's some testimonies in this room. Some of you, the last thing your friends would have ever expected you to be is in church. So growing up, some of your friends thought the church would collapse if you walked in it. But now you're sitting here and you've been redeemed and you're changed by the power of God. But God saw all of that shadiness you were doing, all that sin, and he still invited you into a relationship with him. See, that that makes you want to love him, not just tolerate him. When you think somebody knows you that well and they love you, you want to love them back. You don't want to just wait to heaven. It shouldn't be an oxymoron for Christians to like Christ, (laughs) y'all. It shouldn't be. You meet so few Christians that actually seem like they like them. And we wonder why nobody wants to come to church with us because we don't seem to like it. You're like, come to my church and you too can be as miserable as I am. (laughs) Jesus will suck the life out of you too. So, come to our church Sunday morning and join the club of miserable people who are going to heaven. (laughs) Y'all know it's true. It's a sad day when your unbelieving co worker has to encourage a Christian to have some joy. Come on, y'all. It's a sad day when lost people are saying, eventually your God will be there for you, eventually. Because we don't smile, we got no joy. Y'all got Christian mugs all on your desk at work, with scriptures all on them, and you the grumpiest person in the workplace. Stop that! Amen. Stop it! Romans eight twenty eight, John three sixteen on everything, and you are the meanest skunk in the workplace. <laughs> and then we wonder why. What, what's the problem people have with Jesus? And hitting Jesus is usually we don't reflect them, cause we're just dragging through it. And let me talk to y'all seasoned believers for a minute. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get y'all. I love the seasoned believers. Y'all are my favorite. The Bible says the older men are the pouring into the younger men, the older women into the younger women. Meaning y'all are supposed to be pouring into us. I'm only 44 years old. Some of you have been married as long as I've been alive. Teach me how to do that. Some of you have had successful businesses. Some of you have been married and divorced. Teach me how to not do that. Y'all supposed to pour into us. I always tell people this: you can vacate when you're dead. You can go on vacation when you're dead, but we don't need y'all RVing down to Florida on us. We need y'all to help us grow the church. You can vacate when you're dead. You have plenty of time for vacation, but right now we need you guys to help us grow God's church. So forgive us at times we would neglect the senior believers, and we've acted like we didn't need y'all. Yes, we do. We need your wisdom and your insight to help us grow this kingdom. But y'all also need our enthusiasm because I talk to teenagers and college kids all the time and they go, Al, I don't want to get old in the faith. I'm going, why they go? Because you rarely meet an old, a mature believer who's excited for Jesus. You rarely meet a senior believer who's passionate for Jesus and they're telling the truth. You rarely do. Most of the time, they're the grumpiest people in the church. <clears throat> Aches, aches and pains, aches and pains are a blessing from the Lord. It means you live long enough to get some. So if you got bad knees, you're probably old. (laughs) But you probably had children, grandchildren, and some of you in here may have great grandkids. What a blessing. So yes, my knees hurt, my back hurts because I'm getting old. But that's a blessing from the Lord to get aches and pains. The worst part of my job is burying teenagers. I haven't had a year in 25 years of preaching where I've not had to bury a baby or a teenager, not one yet. And I haven't been one year in 25 years where I had not had to see a young couple say goodbye to a baby. There's this thing called SIDS. This year I had to pray with two couples. They lost separately. They lost babies, newborns to something called SIDS. I don't even know exactly how to, what it is, but it's like they just die for no reason. You wanna talk about pain? You gotta watch a young couple. There's young people, y'all hear me, there's no worse feeling for a parent than to sap to say goodbye to your child first. That is the worst nightmare for any parent to have. We want your children to outlive you. And then I gotta go and watch senior believers whine about the silliest things. And I gotta say goodbye to babies and teenagers. Y'all need to show us example how to walk in joy. Because the longer you're alive, the more you have seen God's provision. Teenagers don't see God's provision the way you have. Some of you have come through some storms. You've come through some sicknesses. You've come through some marriage struggles. You've come through some business struggles. You have seen the Lord's provision way more than a teenager has. So you guys should be the ones who have the most passion in the church. Because you have lived long enough to see his provision way more than they have. So we should be showing the young people how to be passionate followers of God. They shouldn't be showing us what passion is. We should be showing them because we have seen the glory of the Lord in our lives. He has shown his power and his goodness and his faithfulness to us. Isaiah 14, Isaiah 14, listen to this. You were created for his glory. Satan was not after streets of gold. That's why I say when people say my salvation was about going to heaven, it was about streets of gold. No. Do y'all realize that right now gold is the most expensive commodity on the planet, is gold. It's like $1,500 or more for an ounce. People will kill you for gold, but God's going to let you walk on streets of gold. That precious metal that people will kill you over, God said you're way more precious to me than some streets of gold. That stuff that people worship here, I'm going to let you walk on in glory. Because you're way more precious than gold and precious metals. Satan was not after precious metals and gold. He was after God's glory and power. Isaiah says it here. Listen, he goes, how you are falling from heaven, O oh day stars. He's talking about Lucifer, Satan. He goes, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground. You who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. Satan didn't want heaven. He wanted God's power. He didn't want streets of gold and pearly gates. He wanted God's power and glory. And David says, you are his glory. His power rests in you. Satan wanted, Satan saw the power of God in heaven, Lucifer, and he wanted that power. He wanted to be God. And this was his downfall. Listen to this. Listen. I will ascend to the heavens above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. He was saying, God, I'm going to be greater than you. And this was his downfall. He wanted God's glory, which is God's power, God's beauty, and God's attributes. He wanted that. And he said, I will ascend above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the Mount of Simley in the far reaches of the north. Is there more? Okay. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Do y'all hear this? Do y'all hear this? This is Lucifer. Isaiah saying, look at him. He wanted to be greater than God. It's never going to happen. He wanted God's glory, God's power. He wanted heaven The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, but my word remains forever. Heaven isn't heaven if God's not there. Can I get an amen? amen? There is no heaven if there's no God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when I say God, I'm talking about the Trinitarian God. If there's no God, then heaven's just another pretty place. It's just another. We can make an idol out of heaven. Because you can tell people, do you want heaven or hell? How many people are going to choose hell? You want to manipulate some people into salvation. Do you want heaven or hell? No. Do you want Jesus or do you want to continually be a slave to the devil? Because that's what I mean when I say, do you want heaven? Do you want to know God and his son? That's what makes heaven heaven. Jesus. I don't want to die and get to heaven and all I see is angels. Are you kidding? I'm like, no, where's Christ? Where is he? Where's God? I want to see him. Because I wasn't living here for angels and to see some pearly gates. It's for Christ. I want to be in his glory, in his presence. So that Satan Satan was in his presence but wanted more. He goes to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you, y'all listen to what the scripture says here. I'm losing my voice, Pastor. I may have to get you to read scripture for me so I can preach. Listen, those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. There's going to come a time when we are in the glory, in the presence of God. He's going to allow us to see Satan. And it says we're all going to stare at him and go, this is he who has deceived the nations? Because he was never as powerful as you thought. But if you can just convince people you are, you got power. He was never on the same grounds as God the Father. God has no equal. Do y'all understand me? (laughs) He has no equal. Satan has never been a worthy adversary to God. He just made himself to be because he's a deceiver. The Bible says he illuminates himself. That's literally like taking a magnifying glass and making a little bitty ant look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) And if you can just be deceptive, you can be powerful. That's why if you ever watch these cartoons, they always have like a little mouse or a little something. He's like the mafia guy. (laughs) But he's only like, you know, five feet two. But he still generates power and respect and authority. So Satan has convinced us that he's as powerful as the creator of heaven and earth, but he's not. But if he can just convince you that he is, then he has power. So he does have some power because he's, he's illuminated himself and magnified himself to where he looks like he's a true adversary to God, but he's not. To say God has an enemy is to say there's a chance that someone can overtake him. Satan may consider himself an enemy of God, but God truly has no real enemies because he has no competition. Come on, y'all. I said, let's get one amen right there. He has no enemies because he has no competition. He has none. You and I have enemies. Satan's a real adversary to us, but God ain't losing no sleep over the devil, y'all. That's why y'all don't have to fret right now with where the world is. Black, white, Supremacy, Republican, Democrat, whatever. Jesus is in control of all things. That's why y'all don't see me playing no kind of card. Nobody can stop me from doing anything because I'm black. God's my Savior. And all He's called me to do is love people. Come on, are y'all hearing me? So people say, What are you going to do with all the racism going on? I said, I'm just going to keep loving Jesus. God I ain't called everybody to like me, but He's called me to love everyone. So even if a guy didn't like me because I'm black, I don't have a mandate spiritually to hate him back. God's called me to love my enemies, to pray for them even. I don't have a mandate to take out my enemies. I said it to the kids yesterday, they got me me to take them to Starbucks. I have fools blasting my God all the time. I don't believe you're Jesus. And God said, Take him to Starbucks. I'm like, what? He's goes, I don't believe in Jesus. I think Christians are racist and stupid. And y- y'all are like, whatever. I'm going, really? You think that they're going to yeah, i hey, man, do you like to eat? <laughs> Let's go get some grub. I don't have a mandate. God told me to, to return good for evil. He did not told me that everybody should accept me, that I'm a Christian, or that I'm black, or that I'm anything. God said, just be responsible to do what you're called to do. It's too easy to blame everybody. The government, a political party, my race, lack of education, how I was raised. God said, you now serve the king of all kings. Nobody can stop you from doing anything that I've purposed for you to do. So I'm going to tell y'all right now this morning, your biggest enemy isn't Satan. Your biggest enemy is you. Nobody will hurt you more than you hurt you because you allow stuff to happen. We can always blame it on our friends. I used to pass the blame all the time. I would have never been at that party if my buddy, he didn't drag me there. They just invited me. They had no gun in my head making me do shady stuff. They just helped brought to the surface wickedness that was already in me. So it's so easy to blame everybody. And most of us rarely had people physically drag us to do simple things. They may have tempted us. Enticed us, but rarely did they physically force you to go to that party. Oh yeah, they drugged you to that party because you didn't want to be there. They drugged you, made you drink that alcohol. That's what they did. They forced it down your throat. No, they did not. It's so easy for us to blame people and limit our God and make him look weak. As if God is not greater than all of those things that hurt me and wounded me. And God said, I'm greater than all of your hurts and your scars. I'm the great physician. There's no scar I can't heal. Once you come into me, there's no more excuses. Because now you've got a perfect parent, a perfect leader, a heavenly father. And he goes, I will never leave you stray. You are created for my glory. So the more pain you've been through, the more opportunities you have to make much of him. Come on, Pat. So the more stuff you've been through, now that you're in Christ, you have more opportunities to make much of his glory and his power. And how all those wounds that hurt you, and Satan thought he had you, God came in and used what the enemy thought was using for evil. God said, I'm going to turn around and give you a testimony. So you used to be a punk. You used to know, you weren't a good husband. You were on substances. You had all kinds of addictions. And God's to set you free, and then take you back into the place and use you to set others free. We call that church multiplication. You set one free to set one free to set one free to set one free to display God's glory. Not waiting for people to accept me. I'm trying to reflect God's glory, so maybe they'll see Him. Because the problem with our nation isn't government, it's spiritual. Our battle, spiritual. It's not against flesh and blood. If Satan can get me to hate white people, he knows he's won. Why do I say that? Because there's only one race of people, according to the scriptures, called the human race. We all come from Adam and Eve, if you believe the word, if you believe the Holy Bible. Adam and Eve, not Abraham and Sarah. Adam and Eve are the father of all people on the planet. That means there's one race, the human race. We just have different melanin. Some of us are a little bit more cocoa than others. That's right. This brown skin makes my teeth bling more. Make my teeth look brighter because I got that brown skin. But we all come from the same parents. And if Satan can get us to thinking we're so different, all racism is is hatred towards yourself because we all come from the same people. If you believe the Bible. I don't care what your mama taught you and your grandmama. Uh -uh. If you say you're a believer, you got to believe the word. Can't just pick bits and pieces you like. We all come from Adam and Eve. So nobody knows where to define me. The black community going, where do you stand? On Jesus' side. So the black people think I'm a sellout and the white people don't know what to do with me. (laughs) Praise the Lord. That means I'm right where I should be. On Jesus' side, I'm trying to grow his kingdom. I know I'm ex-military, so I'm patriotic. But I'm not trying to grow this kingdom. I'm not trying to make you an American citizen. I'm trying to help make you a citizen of heaven. That's my goal. He's the ultimate leader. He's the ultimate one to follow. And if I can get people to trust in him, then we can fix things. We can fix things. He goes... Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? This is what they're going to say. Is this the one? Let's keep going. Now we're going to go to the New Testament real quick. The Second Timothy. We're going to tie this in. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2. Man, I'm having fun this morning. Amen. Even with a hoarse voice, we're going to have some church in here. Before I get out of here, I'm going to get white people to shout, clap on beat, and everything. (laughs) Praise the Lord, right? Listen to what he says, starting in verse 8, for the sake of time. He goes, remember Jesus Christ, Timothy. Timothy. Remember Jesus, remember Jesus, remember Jesus. He doesn't say, remember me. Apostle Paul, awesome ministry. I was shipwrecked. I shook off vipers. I did amazing things. He doesn't even mention any of that stuff. He goes, no, Timothy, Timothy in church, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. All that's his way of saying, pastor, is remember your foundation. Timothy, it's going to be hard to grow this church. Christianity's new. You're being persecuted. Y'all have been slaughtered like the lambs. But, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. Whenever life gets chaotic, you always go back to your foundation. Whenever you're concerned about political stuff, race issues, taxes, whatever, you always go back to your foundation. And go, Jesus is the rock in which I stand. I got to look at everything through a biblical lens. Not through a white person lens, not through a black person lens. I have to look at it through a biblical lens. Everything that's presented to me, I have to bring to the word and go, Jesus, what do you say about this? Because if you ask me what I think as a black man, I might go off on you. But if you ask me what I think as a redeemed man, now i got to go to the word. <laughs> Why'd you go put it that way? Now i got to go all to the Bible and see what Jesus wants me to do. I was about to go off on you until you said, well, what would you do as a Christian? I'm like, oh, ooh, <laughs> oh, I better go back and remember Jesus. What does Jesus tell me to do about this situation? Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The brother ain't hanging he ain't in that grave anymore. Three days later, he came out, <laughs> good as new, like, hey, how y'all doing? <laughs> They're like, well, you dead? No, I'm not. I was taking a nap. I'm back, prettier than ever. De- Guys, listen to this. If death can't even conquer a you might want to follow him. <laughs> if even death don't, even if you kill a guy, he pops back up and go, yeah, I was dead. I'll, yeah, I'm back again. If they ain't get Wolverine and got nothing on Jesus at all, and some of y'all will get that later because <laughs> he can heal himself. And she's like, look, man, I, I, there's nothing can destroy me. And if that's the case, then why should Christians be intimidated by anything if nobody can even kill our commander? Come on. What? Even death, you look at it and go, Death has the answer to me." <laughs> I'm like, "Whoa, That's an awesome dude. I'm one car accident from being yesterday's news. I'm one disease, I'm one sickness. I'm, my, I'm fragile. I'm fragile. I'm just flesh. But to think that nothing could stop my Savior? Are you kidding? What? Even death he beat? I want to follow that dude. I want to follow that guy into battle because I know there ain't nobody that's going to destroy him. And I'm just going to hang on this shirt tail and tag me off a few people. But I'm just going to follow him the way a little kid does his daddy. I'm just going to hang on and he's going to tell me to snipe a couple enemies on the way. But I'm going to follow this guy because I know can nobody conquer him. It says he even rose from the dead, Pastor. If that don't get us excited to stop moping around, that we're Christians. I'm a Christian. As if the only time we're going to enjoy Jesus is when we finally get to heaven. No, I want to enjoy Him here. It's listen, y'all. Some of y'all just need to smile. Some of y'all just mean. If people can just see you smile every now and then, they might want to know, what is it about you? You're moping, grumpy all the time. Where's this God who used to believe that died on the cross and redeemed you, that he conquered death and the grave, and that his spirit lives in you? That should be enough for us to be excited until we get to eternity. What else does he have to do for you other than giving you Jesus to finally make some of you actually enjoy him? What more can he give you other than his son crucified? And he's done way more than that. All of us in here probably have homes, cars, TVs, clothes, shoes, vacations. He didn't promise you all that. He promised you food, clothing, shelter. He's went way above that. And some of us still like, yeah, whatever. But God has exceeded what he even promised. He's even gave most of us a lot of our desires. On top of giving you Jesus. Don't, he is crazy good. Crazy good. He is crazy good to us. We've just gotten spoiled. We've gotten so blessed. It's like the kid who grows up with rich parents and they never make him do anything. They just hand them stuff. And he just gets to where he's just ungrateful. Because he's always been provided for. And that's where we are at times. God has blessed us so much we've gotten ungrateful to where we don't even thank him for life. Come oh, on, man, I gotta hurry, Pastor. Remember Jesus, risen from the dead. He's the offspring of David. as preached in my gospel, the gospel. The gospel that Adam sinned, blew it. He had an amazing relationship with God. Notice I didn't say Eve blew it, because even when Eve partook of the fruit, who was the one that God showed up and talked to? Adam. He goes, hold on, Adam, what, what, what has happened? And then know what Adam did? Instead of manning up, he threw his wife under the bus. That's right. That woman you gave me. Even then, God was giving him a chance at mercy. Just own up to it, repent. But instead, he throws his wife under the bus. Well, I was doing fine. You weren't doing fine. I saw you moping around before I gave her to you. You weren't doing fine. You're looking at the animals and everything, You all jealous. So I hooked you up with a little hottie. The gospel is Adam blew it, separated us from God. All of us are born from his seed. We're born into sin. And Jesus, the second Adam, comes and undo what the first Adam did. He was the lamb for the slaughter. He was the sacrifice that was worthy. God's wrath was appeased in Jesus. On your best day, your righteousness is as filthy rags. And I don't want to go into what that rag really means. Use your mind. That's exactly what he's talking about. It was a different era, ladies. They didn't have the things y'all have today. And that's what he's comparing your righteousness to. On your best day, I don't care how many old ladies you have across the street, I don't care how many charitable things you do. On your best day, you compare it to Jesus as a joke. You could have never appeased the wrath of God, but Jesus did. That is the beautiful gospel that he gave his only begotten son for the adopted ones. Nobody does that in the natural realm. He gave up his only begotten son for the adopted sons and daughters. He goes, in my gospel, for which I am suffering, I'm bound with chains as a criminal, He goes, I'm suffering for this gospel. What was the gospel? It was about Jesus redeeming people. He was saying, it is a good thing to suffer if people will come to know Christ. That's the kind of suffering you want. You don't want to suffer for being being immoral, for breaking the law. He goes, but if you suffer, then have a righteous suffering. Suffer because of the gospel. He goes, for this gospel, I am suffering so that this gospel could bring others into the faith, Timothy, like you and I are in the faith. We know that Jesus suffered also so that we could be redeemed. So let us strap on and get ready to suffer if it'll bring someone else to see the light of the gospel. He's encouraging Timothy. Notice he didn't say, become a Christian and things are going to be great. Because surely Christians never have any issues, right? Because you want to get a lot of people saved? Tell them, get saved, and all your bills are going to get paid. Get saved, and you're going to have a phenomenal marriage. Get saved, and your kids will never misbehave. Because surely in a room like this, Christian people, some of y- I know y'all's kids have never sassed you. Oh, They got halos over them. Oh, They're little angels. No. Sometimes I think my son's got horns growing out of his head. <laughs> he goes, he goes, for which I'm suffering, he goes, I'm bound with chains as a criminal, but listen to this as I like, get really close. But the word of God <laughs> is not what, it's not bound. They throw that brother in prison, he starts a prison ministry. We're going to shut you up. We're going to throw you in prison. He goes, oh, thank you. These dudes really need Jesus. He had the most amazing attitude with everything. You'll never read. He's like, What was me? Why would Jesus do this to me? I'm a Christian. I'm a servant. Why do I have to suffer? He goes on to say, It's fellowship. The fellowship of sharing and is suffering. Your English teacher would tell you never to put those two words together. Fellowship and suffering. No, no, no. That doesn't mix. Fellowship is having fun, <laughs> it's barbecuing. It's hanging out in your backyard. It's watching ball games. Nobody has a suffering party. He calls fellowship. He goes the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Paul didn't feel like he really understood God until it really cost him a lot to identify with God. Then he got him more. He began to understand, wow, he suffered for me. So he never whined about suffering. And he never told Timothy, you won't suffer, though. He actually told him, embrace for it. Embrace for suffering. Pastor, we need to tell people that. Because if you don't tell them, when suffering comes, they'll leave the church. And they'll act as if somehow God is punishing them. Come on, y'all. The Bible says that he didn't even spare his own son, but he gave him up. for Jesus suffered. So the worst reason to leave the church is suffering. Because you're acting as if somehow God's punishing you as if Jesus never suffered. He suffered to the point of shedding his own blood for our sins. Suffering's the worst reason to ever leave the church. My husband left me. I got fired. I'm like, what's Jesus got to do with that? Why are we punishing Christ for sinful things that happen to us? Why do we blame him? People say, I don't want to come to church because my husband left me. I'm going, that's why you need to go to church. You weren't married to no Jesus. Jesus didn't leave you, girl. That's a man that's faithful even when you're unfaithful. That dude ain't going nowhere. Once he commits to you, he's committed. Jesus didn't break your heart. Jesus didn't make your parents abuse you. Jesus didn't make them friends backstab you. Jesus didn't make that ungodly boss treat you wrong. No, those things are reasons why you need God. But Satan will convince you that God is causing sinful things. And if God can sin, we don't have a faith. Come on, man. have y'all ever thought about that? If you're blaming God for... Tra- can- people blame God for cancer. I have people in my office going, I don't want to come to church anymore because my mother died of breast cancer. Going, and you're blaming Jesus? <laughs> we live in a fallen world. He weeps more over you dying than you. He came to heal us, not to wound us. The Bible says by his stripes we were healed. God doesn't open wounds. God heals wounds. Come on, y'all. God doesn't open wounds. God heals wounds. He heals wounds, y'all. He goes, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I endure all things for the elect so that they may endure salvation for what though? With eternal glory, ultimately for God's glory. I want people to come into a relationship with Jesus for his glory and sake. I could care less if people remember me. I hope they never forget him. Because I can't save anybody, he can. Thank you. I can't save anybody. Christ is what we need. Christ is the answer to our country. Christ is the answer to your issues. Christ and Christ alone. Christ is the only thing that will make us love each other right, see each other right, honor each other. I have no choice but to love you. You are made in his image. He died for you, so you don't have to owe me anything, but I owe you everything. Because he's not physically here, but you are. And if I want to say to him, thank you for dying for me, I gotta love you, because you are Jesus right now. He's not here, but you are. And he's going to give me a chance to show him how much I love him. When he says, you love me, then feed my sheep. You love me, then feed those right in front of you. I say, yes, Lord, yes, yes. And even that's not enough to say thank you for redeeming my lost soul. But God, let me get at it and roll up my sleeves and get to work because I want you to get glory. And if that means being a witness and suffering and injustice and whatever, I'm not going through anything that you yourself have not been through. So, Father, give me courage. I'm not asking for God to make it easy, I'm asking for God to give me courage to do it. Y'all, it's hard to share the gospel. I'm considered to be one of the top evangelists in the country. People got a sense of humor. I bet you I have a 90 something percent rejection rate. I, in 22 months, I've probably seen 13,000 salvations. But I've probably seen 10 times more than that rejected. So I tell people, if you want to be a soul winner, you better have thick skin because you're going to get rejected a lot. A lot. Yes, three people got saved. That was wonderful. But I don't think everybody there was a Christian. So more probably rejected it than received it. I'm still going to rejoice over the three. Because that brought God glory. You are created for his glory. I know that overwhelms you to think that he values you that much. Because sometimes we don't even think we can be good spouses, good business owners, good parents, and then yet for God to create me for his glory, I know that's what makes him God and not us. He believes in us way more than we believe in ourselves. He's called you to reflect his glory. You are his glory on this earth. He wants to write his story through you. He wants people to see the gospel through us as the Holy Spirit empowers us so that he gets the glory. So anything about us that anyone sees that's good, to God be the glory.